You're listening to the Church on the Move Roswell podcast. We hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Thanks for listening. Let's check it out. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. We're still on Hope Against Hope. Thought I'd finish that last week, but we're not done yet. Amen? We can't have enough of teaching on hope, enough teaching on on, uh, building your hope up so you, you can build your faith up. Because God wants us to believe him over this world. And I've taught for several weeks that the first hope is hope in the natural, hope in what people can do, hope in what you can accomplish, doctors or others or your boss or the economy, what people can do. And when all of that hope is lost, there's still another hope that stands up against that hopelessness and says, it is not hopeless because the God of all hope is still on the throne. And so when it looks hopeless in the natural, it's not hopeless with God. And so he said in Romans uh, chapter four, starting in verse 18, it says this about Abraham. It said, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abraham believed the promise. That's the hope. When it looked hopeless, he believed the promise. And then, then he took it one step further and got into faith. Because now faith is the substance of things hoped for. So he had hope, and that's the foundation to get to faith. So the hope of God's promise, when we hear a promise of God, hope wells up inside of us like, oh my gosh, God promised. But that hope has to turn to something else, and that's faith. Hope says, I believe in the promiser and the promise. Faith says, I believe that that will come to pass right here, right now in this life. Now, now faith is. So it says this, Abraham believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. That's the faith part. He took God at his word, and as a result, he became the father of many nations. As the result of him having hope in God and the promises of God, letting that hope become faith in God, expecting God to move, the promise that he would be the father of many nations came to pass. We know it goes on to say that all hope was gone in his body. All hope was gone in his wife's body. That was impossible at this point in the natural for them to have a child. That's that hope. He had a hope that was against hopelessness because God can do what man can't do. I know that's like a huge revelation. God can do things we can't. But that's what hope says. Hope says God can do things we can't. And you would think that would be so easy to believe. But a lot of people lose hope. They don't believe God can do what we can't. But those who do are never hopeless. They are hopeful. Those who do will see miracles where others who don't won't. Let's all be the ones that see miracles happen because we never lose hope in God. We never lose hope in God. I think about, um, I think about two stories in the Bible when I was meditating on hope, I was thinking about these two stories. I think about King Jehoshaphat, he was a king in in, uh, Israel and he, uh, uh, one day, three armies gathered together and came against them. And he couldn't even fight one army, let alone three. He was outnumbered. He was outmanned. There was no way he was going to win the battle with, and by military might. He turned to God. 
When all hope was gone, he did what you're supposed to do. He turned to the God, the God that says, listen, what is impossible for man is possible with me. And God gave him a battle strategy. And it was brilliant. He said, take all the praise and worship guys and have them go out in front of the army and play music and praise God. Because after all, we all know the band guys are the toughest guys in the whole world, right? They're the greatest warriors. They're taking their drum and their sword. No, they just have the drum. And so he says, take all them. And I'm, think, I'm thinking when he goes to announce it, and says, hey, we're gonna fight. And all you praise and worship guys, you guys are leading the fight. You're gonna meet them first. And you're gonna be carrying your instruments and singing, that's gonna be your only weapon. I mean, God, when, when you turn to the God, when you turn to the supernatural God, he's gonna give you things to do that are gonna require faith. What a huge step of faith, not just for the king. Easier for the king to say, you're going, than for them to actually go. Okay, we're going armed with singing. Sounds like Elf, I'm singing really loudly. And, you know, sounds like a movie from, a, and so they're, you know, they're, they're marching and these armies are looking at them like, who, who is, oh, they're bringing their, they got drums and flutes and the, the singers. You know, they're th- I'm sure they're thinking this is gonna be a quick battle. We're gonna wipe them out. But that's who led the, the battle. That's what God told him to do. And so not only he had, did he have to step out of faith, more so the, the praise and worship team had to step out in faith and believe that if we worship the almighty God, that God would do something because all hope was gone in the natural and their own abilities or anybody else's ability to deliver them. But their hope wasn't gone in God's ability to deliver. God created confusion among those three armies. They ended up fighting each other. Didn't end up fighting one Israeli. Not one Jewish person did they fight. They ended up fighting each other and wiping each other out. It took, I can't remember how many days it took them to gather all the spoils. They had been spoiling kingdoms all along the way and they had all the spoils of war with them and were gonna wipe them out and take the spoils of war from, away from the Jews too. But instead, when all hope was gone, he turned to God, the God of hope, and they won the victory. And not only did they beat those armies, but they got the spoils of victory. They got the spoils of victory. I thought about another time in the Old Testament when uh, the armies had surrounded uh, uh, the city of Jerusalem and was starving all the Jews out. They were starving to death. And uh, where they were at a point, that's where that story comes, where, where that, what, that the moms are fighting over a baby because one of the moms wants to eat the child. They're eating children their, their cannibalism is taking place inside the city. They're so hungry. They're eating uh, bird poop. Kid you not, that's how starving they were. Starving to death by the thousands. They were dying. Four lepers who were starving also but weren't even allowed in the city are sitting outside the city walls. And one of them finally stands up and says, Okay, guys, if we go back in the city, they're probably gonna kill us because we have leprosy and we're gonna die in there anyway because everybody's dying from famine. He says, if we sit here, we're gonna die. Here's a great lesson. You can't stay where you're at, even no matter how strong you are right now, you can't stay there forever. A stagnant pool eventually becomes poisoned. You have to constantly be moving forward. Paul said this, he said, I've only, out of all the things I've learned, I've had face-to-face meetings with Jesus, and there's one thing that I truly know in my heart. 
He said, you forget the past and press onward to the mark of the high calling of Christ. Onward, always forward, always moving forward. I don't care if it's an inch. I don't care if you're, you're, you're gaining miles or inches or you're crawling forward. Whatever it is, God is always calling us forward. He's always calling us, calling us to move. I remember General Patton, uh, someone reminded me of this story uh, this morning that in the Battle of the Bulge, they were stuck, the armies were stuck, and they're having this big meeting among generals in World War II, and Patton says, cut me loose, give me the assignment, I'll travel to that place within days, I will march all night, all day for nights, we'll get there, we'll defeat, we'll break through the enemy lines, and we'll, we'll get a major victory and a major breakthrough. And the British General Montgomery stood up and said, no, man, you need to retreat and let your men rest and do all this. And Patton said, I will never retreat. He said, I'll never pay for real estate twice. You think about that. If you, if you paid for your house and then you had to pay for it twice, then someone came back and said, nah, it's not really your house after you paid for it. You gotta pay for it again to be your house. You'd be up in arms. Like, I'm not paying for that twice. He's saying, I'm not gonna take ground and then give it back and then have to pay the price to get it again. He said, as a matter of fact, we're moving forward. He did it. He marched all day, all night for days. He got there and they said his army would be too tired to fight. Not true. He had prepared them. They won that battle by moving forward. He said, I'll never retreat. I'm always going forward. That needs to be our attitude about Christianity. We're always moving forward. We're not gonna retreat. We're not going back to the past. We're not gonna pay twice for that same ground. We're gonna take ground and take ground and take ground and keep moving forward. So that, that leper says to the others, if we stay here, if we go backwards, we die. If we stay here, we die. We have one choice. We gotta go forward into the enemy's camp. Maybe they'll have mercy on us and let us live. Little did they know, God had already intervened. Those armies had been wiped out and they were gone. They came walking in, starving, full of leprosy, sick, and found out that everything was theirs. They went into those tents and laid on those fur rugs, ate all their food. They left the food and everything was left. And they, they ate to their heart's content for days. Then they started dragging the spoils away and burying it off to the side. Finally, they got to a point like, hey, guys, we're, 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 we're wrong here. And it's probably the same guy who stood up the first time and said, we're wrong. We, we've been blessed. Our lives have been saved. How dare us not go back to the city and tell everybody? that their lives had been spared too and that they needed to come out and eat and take advantage of the spoils of war. And so they went back and told others, guys, our victories are not just for ourselves. Our victories are to go back and tell others. God told us those stories in the Bible and their victories so that they would be speaking to us today that, hey, God gained them a victory then. He's the same God today, yesterday, today, and forever. He'll the, he'll be the, he's the same God that will give you victory today. He gave them victory, he'll give us victory. He gave them supernatural hope and supernatural victories, he'll give us supernatural hope and supernatural victories. That's the God who he is. That's the God who he is. Go with me to Romans 8, you're right there in Romans 4. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28. It says this. So we are convinced that every detail, everybody say every detail, of my life. Say every detail of my life. God's talking about you and me. 
Every detail of our life is continually woven together for bad, for evil. What's it say? For good. I'm going to give you three steps before I tell you a couple more stories. Step number one, you have to always see your circumstances through God's love, through his eyes. What God sees is this. Everything that ever happens to you, he will turn around for good. What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn around for good. Joseph said to his brothers when they sold him into slavery and he ended up being the leader of all Egypt. He ended up saving the whole world from starvation. He said, brothers, what you meant was for evil, but God meant it for good. Otherwise, he took this evil and he wove it into a story and it turned out to be so good, not just for me, but for all the known world at that time, ended up not starving to death because of Joseph. And Joseph had that attitude the whole time. He had an attitude sold into slavery, God, you're good. When he was sold and put in prison, falsely accused of rape, he, God, you're good. Innocent man, one of the few innocent men that's probably ever been to prison. But he said, God, you're good. God showed him favor as a slave, showed him favor as an inmate, and then produced in him greatness. He became the leader of all Egypt, the greatest superpower in the world. And not only saved his family, but the world from starvation because he never stopped, took his eyes off of God. He saw every circumstances through God's eyes and said to himself and to God, God, everything that happens to me will turn out for good. No matter what others do to me, no matter what others meant it to be, they meant it to be evil, they meant it to hurt, it doesn't matter, you're my God, and you'll, turn, you'll weave it together somehow, some way, because you're the God of all hope. When it looked hopeless on one end, oh man, God, I trust in you, because you do the impossible. And you'll turn it around for good. And he did. He did, he's done it time and time and time again. The Bible teaches us, fix your eyes on Jesus, not on the problem, not on the circumstance, not on the issue. If you meditate too long on the problem, it will seem more and more impossible, more and more improbable, till you get to a point where you'll throw in the towel and you'll give up hope. You cannot, we cannot fix fixate on the problem. We can deal with the problem. We can acknowledge the problem, but we can't focus on the problem. We have to focus on the solution. When all hope is gone in the natural, then when there's nothing else you can do, there's nothing else anyone else can do that you know of, you focus your eyes on God continually. Focus on the solution and the, the one that gives you hope. Abraham's a perfect example. We read right there in Romans 4. It said that as the problem got worse, day after day, the problem got worse. He didn't get, like a lot of people, uh, Satan will, he'll manipulate you. He'll give you good news, then bad news. He'll play you like a yo-yo. He's trying to wear your emotions out so you'll quit. So you'll get good news and think, oh, it's over. Then it, all of a sudden, you'll get worse news. Oh, no, it's not over. And he'll try to wear you out. He'll use that tactic or he'll just use this tactic. Day after day, it's worse. It's worse it's worse, it's worse, it's worse. With Abraham, he didn't have one day for years that it got better. For years, it got worse every day. The promise of God and the goodness of God got further away. The thing that he desired most in his heart to have a child got further away and further away and further away with every single passing day. He didn't get one inkling of encouragement, not one, not one oh man, it's gonna be all right. No, he, nothing in the natural encouraged him one bit. 
Not, nothing encouraged him in the natural. But it said this, though it got worse and worse and worse and worse every single day for years, it said this, he glorified God. He stood, he praised God. He worshiped God every day. He focused his attention on the God of all hope and said, God, I'm my focus, my attention's not on the problem, even though I recognize it's getting worse. It's saying to me it's getting worse. Everything's speaking to me that it's getting worse. My own body's saying it's getting worse, but my focus is directly on you. I'm not gonna focus on that problem. I'm gonna focus on the solution, and you're the only solution to that problem. We have to focus not on the circumstances of the problem, but on the one that can solve it, the God of all hope. The God who promised to heal, to restore, to take things that were meant for evil and make them right. We have to focus on him. That's number one. Uh, let's, read, let's read this, the rest of this. So he says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good. We are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. He has a design for everything. And when evil happens to you, he'll redesign it and turn it around for your good if you'll trust him to do so. Go with me to Philippians chapter one. Oh, actually on the way, stop at Romans 15. It's on the way. Stop at Romans 15, verse 13. I love this scripture. It says this in Romans 15, 13. Now may God, the fountain of hope, the fountain, he is the fountain of hope. He's the originator of hope. He doesn't have hope, he is hope. Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace. Guys, when you drink of the fountain of hope every day, when you make it a habit to say, God, I trust you every day. My hope is not in man. I, I, I'll do what I need to do. I'll, I'll allow others to do their part. But God, ultimately my hope and my trust is in you. And you do that daily. You do that continually. What happens is a lot of people don't practice hope every day in God, so they wait till uh, emergencies happen, and then they say they're in hope, but could I tell you something? They're not in hope. They're wishing. Wishing isn't hope. Wishing is witchcraft. I wish upon a star, all that wishing stuff, that's all witchcraft. Hope is different than witchcraft. Hope is based on the character of God and hope is based on the word of God, the promises of God. But a lot of people who don't practice hope daily, they get into this wishing contest when emergencies happen. Listen, if you wanna be good at anything, you have to practice it. If anything athletics will teach you, if you wanna be good at anything, you better practice. Music will teach you that too. If you don't practice the guitar, you're not gonna, uh, you, I couldn't hand you a guitar if you've never played it and sit you up here and say, go. You'd play like a three-year-old, right? A three-year-old could play it the way you probably could. No, you have to practice, practice, and practice to be good at anything. And you have to practice hope on a daily basis. You have to practice saying, God, I look to you today. God, I look to you. In good times and bad times, it don't matter. I am always have my eyes fixed on you. I always have hope in your promise and your character that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That you're, there is no darkness in you. You're pure, you're perfect, you're holy, and what you promise, you always do. You're not a man, you're not a woman, you're not an entity, you're not a human being. You are God, the Spirit. You're greater than us. 
Your character is greater than us. Your integrity is greater. And I trust completely in you. You have to practice hope daily to be good at it. You have to practice drinking from the fountain of hope. Why? Because we have so many negative things that come at us. If you watch any news, oh my gosh, it's ugly, ugly, and uglier. Then it gets to ugliest. It can't get any worse. It's one bad thing after another bad thing. If you, if you don't watch the news, if you just go to work and listen to people's lives, it's one bad thing after another bad thing. You read the paper, it's one bad thing after another bad thing. Your family who doesn't know Jesus calls you, it's one bad thing after another bad thing. Listen, it's, it's constantly bombarding us. You can't, you can't drink from the fountain of hope once every six months and think that you can, uh, uh, that you can handle the onslaught of hopelessness and pessimism that's coming at you. You have to drink daily. You have to drink from that fountain. I think of it like a water fountain, man. You just go up and turn it on. Drink daily from that fountain of hope. Start your day off with it. End your night with it. Hope, 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 hope. Hope. God, I trust in your character. God, I trust in your word. And man, matter of fact, I'm reading your word. I'm not sitting still. I'm not going to allow myself to get stagnant. I'm going to keep moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. I'm not going to take the same ground twice. I'm not going to pay for it twice. I'm going to keep moving forward and taking new ground every day. And drinking from the fountain of hope. He said, now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace. Guys, when you drink from that fountain every day, you'll have joy and you'll have peace. I said, you'll have joy and you'll have peace. Joy isn't happiness, that all the circumstances are perfect. Joy says all the circumstances aren't perfect, but there's a but. But God is on the throne and he'll turn this around for good. <clears throat> That's the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is temporary. Joy is continual. <clears throat> You'll also have a peace where you won't give in to fear and worry. You won't give in to fear and worry and dread. You won't give in to that. You'll always have this opt- optimistic attitude about the future and what's coming next. Not based on you. Not hoping you or hoping me or hoping anybody else other than hoping a good God, that God is good all the time. All the time. He'll fill you with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. As you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his super abundance until you radiate with hope. He doesn't want you just to have hope. He wants you to radiate hope to those around you. We've all been in negative circumstances when someone walked in the room that had hope and they radiated hope and it lifted everybody up. It lifted everybody up and you're like, man, I want to be more like that. Well, to be more like that, you have to do this daily. You have to drink from the fountain of hope daily. You have to feed on the word of hope, God's Bible, the word of God daily. That's because the Bible's full of hope. You have to feed on it. You have to feed on hope. You have to drink on hope. You have to live daily, continually with your eyes focused on the hope that God is good and he's for you and he wants good things to happen for you and to you. You have to feed on that. And then he said, the Holy Spirit will continually surround you. When you continually surround and drink from the fountain of hope, the Holy Spirit will continually surround you with this abundance of hope. So you have so much of it, you can give it away. I said, you have so much of it, you can give it away. That you can light up a room when you walk in. I mean, everybody's crying, you walk in and there's like, oh man, there's something different here. 
The Calvary showed up. The God of hope is on that person. And you don't go in there and make a fool of yourself or a fool of God, but you go in there and you're good to people. If they want it, you pray. You pray like God's gonna move. Not like he's not going to, like many do. But you pray with hope and you sow hope. You comfort people with the hope that radiates from your life. Oh, I'm gonna preach you happy. Come on. Might as well just go ahead and get there. So I'm not gonna, I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna relent until you get a hold of this. We need everybody to get a hold of this. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because we're gonna face battles that we're gonna need everyone to be full of hope and not having to be stirred up all the time. You're, you're gonna need it in your family. You're gonna need somebody in your family that stands and is unmovable when it comes to hope. Everybody needs somebody like that in their family. Matter of fact, you don't need one. You need your whole family to be like that. Because when one's weak, the other one will pick them up. Hopefully when one's weak, 10 of them pick them up in your family. And you keep doing that, and you keep doing that, and you keep doing that. I remember King David, when all his, they'd taken his women, their children, all their, all their wealth. They took everything away from them, their families. The men were crying so hard that they were just totally distraught. They couldn't, they couldn't even saddle, get on their horse to go chase these bandits that had stolen from them. They were so distraught. They were so weak. I mean, just devastated. And then the rest of them that still had some strength, they turned on David and said, you caused all this to happen. We're going to kill you. So now David's all alone. You know, you're going to face some stuff and you're going to be all alone. You're gonna be all alone. I remember one time, and this might freak some of you out, but this is just the reality of it. I remember one time I was casting a demon out of a young woman. She had ruined her life time and time again in relationships. And she had told me that she had had, that she knew there was a demonic spirit on her, in, in her. And uh, she wanted it out. And so I began to deal with that. So in the name of Jesus come out. And I'll never forget that demon spoke through her in a male voice and said, she's a little bitty thing, said, you can't cast me out because you're all alone here. Now, it was just me and that woman in my office, but I had my door open and there was a bunch of people, women sitting right outside listening to the whole conversation because that's what you do. You protect yourself, you protect people. You don't do things alone like that. And so they heard that voice. One of them had never heard a demon speak, got up and ran out the door out of the office. Another one began to weep and said, hey, we gotta send someone in there and rescue Pastor Troy. Because that demon's voice, was, it was so demonic, they didn't even, they'd never heard a demon, but they knew it was a demon coming out of her. It was that demonic a voice, crazy. And I looked for a second, and for a second I thought, I am all by myself. And then it just, within a split second, like, no, you're not. And I said, no, I'm not. Greater is he that is in me that's in the world because I've got the Holy Spirit of the living God living inside. I'm never alone. But if I didn't know that, I would have folded like that because it was so demonic. It was so ugly, that voice. And sounded so powerful. But you've got to be able to stir yourself up. King David, when all that happened, he said he separated from all them, probably ran into his tent. I, we know he went into his tent. He probably ran into his tent like, man, they're going to kill me if I stay outside. He runs in his tent, and it says this. He stirred himself up in the Lord. 
He stirred himself. He started remembering. I killed the lion. I killed the bear. I killed Goliath. God, you helped me do all of that. Without you, I'd have been dead. Without you, I'd have never conquered. Without you, I'd have never accomplished. Without you, this would have never happened. And he began to stir himself up in the things that God had already done. And he came back out of that tent like a warrior. Went in like a mouse, came out like a lion. It said, mount up. And those men that wanted to kill him because of the authority he operated in and the hope that he had on him, they got on their horses. Instead of killing him, they got on their horses. He said, leave all these guys that are too distraught to fight. You guys come with me. We're going to go. And they defeated that army, caught up to him, defeated him. Not one hair on their wives and children had been touched. And they took not only the spoils they took from them, but they had spoiled multiple areas. They took spoils of war. That was unbelievable. And it was a great victory. But it took one person, and he was all by himself. He didn't have another human being with him to stir himself up in the God of all hope. The God of all hope. But guess what? David lived a lifestyle of doing that, of believing in the God of hope. You have to live a lifestyle. It has to be continual. It has to be consistent. And when you're consistent, the Holy Spirit will consistently, consistently surround you with the Holy Spirit in hope. You'll radiate hope. I said, you'll radiate hope. And you'll be a blessing not just to yourself, but to others. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says this. I pray with great faith for you because I'm fully convinced that the one who began this gracious work in you will faithfully continue the process of maturing you until the unveiling of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another translation of this verse says, I begun, Jesus began a good work in you. He'll finish it if you'll trust him. You have to trust that God's working to mature you through every and all circumstances. He's working. That's the eyes of seeing these circumstances through God's love and through God's eyes. That even in the heat, in the heat, he'll purify you. In the heat, he'll mold you into something better, not worse, if you won't lose hope. If you won't give up on God, he'll never give up on you. That's one. Number two, you have to pray. You have to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, pray without ceasing, otherwise never stop praying. Always be in prayer. Always be in prayer. I encourage people, wake up in prayer. What do you mean by that? Before you get out of bed, you, whether you say it to yourself or out loud, you say, God, I thank you for this day. This is a day that you have made. I'll rejoice and be glad in this day. God, no matter what happens in this day, my eyes are fixed on you. No matter what happens, good or bad, I give you praise. I give you glory. I don't thank you for storms in my life. I don't thank you for bad things. I thank you in bad things. That even though I'm in the fire, you're with me. Even though I'm in the storm, you're with me. God, no matter what happens today, you're with me. You're for me. You love me. You care about me. And I'm with you you and I'm for you and I love you and I care about what you care about and this is going to be an awesome day I ask you that you move incredibly supernaturally for me today in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ I pray amen and let's go and before you lay your head down at night, you lay your head down and you say, God, I thank you for an awesome day. I thank you for an incredible day that no matter what happened in it, I praise you. No matter what happened in it, I trust you. I thank you for this that happened good and this that happened good and this that happened good. The bad things that happened, even those, I thank you. Not for them happening, but in those moments you are with me. And in these moments you'll mold me. In these moments you'll mature me. In these moments you'll grow me. And in these moments I'll see great victories coming tomorrow. In the name of Jesus, good night.
You begin with prayer. You end with prayer. You stay in prayer throughout the day. Things pop up. You just, in your mind, while you're moving along, while you're walking down the hallway at work, God, I thank you. You're moving in that situation. Someone comes up about one of your kids. God, I thank you. You're moving. You're moving in Susie's life, Matthew's life, whatever their name's name, whatever their name is. You're moving right now. People pop up in your head. Oh, man, Father, I know they're going through stuff. Help them. Help them. Help their marriage. Help their kids. Heal their bodies. In the name of Jesus. You just stay incessantly in prayer all day long. When you practice focusing on God and believing he loves you and you love him all day, you practice praying like this. The Bible says continually the Holy Spirit will surround you with God's superabundance and you'll radiate hope all day long. We need everybody to be in that spot. Then the last thing, number three, this is the steps that you take daily to stir up hope, to grow in hope, to stay in hope. The last one is you need community. Now, they're using this word community a lot, but I want to use the word the Bible uses. It's called church. Because people are taking community to mean, well, just a couple of friends we run around with. No, guys, that's not a church. People who are just meeting in their house, and it's just a group of people, and they're just hanging out, doing a Bible study, taking turns. There's no pastor. There's no, there's no church government that God laid out, not me, not, not any person. God laid out how the church should be formed, how it should look, how it should act, and what the authorities in the church should look like. It's called the church. You need the church. The church needs you, and you need them. I can look around this room. I don't know how many people in this room have received a meal when you were sick. A phone call, a text, a prayer. If someone did a funeral for you, church, you cooked a meal for someone, you served at someone's funeral, someone did a wedding for you, the church. Someone was at the hospital with you when you were crying. Someone was a shoulder to cry on when you lost a loved one. We need the church. Someone encouraged you to stay married when you wanted to quit. Someone encouraged you to keep believing God in the midst of terrible circumstances when your heart was broken. You need the church, and the church needs you. Jesus said in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Husbands, lay down your lives for your wives as Jesus laid down his life for the church. I'm going to say this too about doing life together. Jesus did life with his family in his community. He went to church every Saturday. He never missed church. As a child, he didn't miss it. As an adult, he never missed. Every Saturday, Jesus was at the synagogue preaching the truth. Every, he never missed. Then why do people think it's okay to miss church on a continual basis? Why do people think it's okay to miss church on a continual basis? If Jesus Christ the Lord did not miss church once, why would we think it's okay? I don't know why we think that's okay. If Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, he goes to the authority in the church, John the Baptist, and gets baptized. He submits to the, he said, John said, I can't baptize you. You need to be baptizing me. He said, no, John, you're the one that God gave authority. I'm submitting to your authority. You baptize me. He came and submitted to the spiritual authority, got baptized by John, and then John said, I must decrease so he can increase. John stepped down and let Jesus become the authority. But Jesus did everything in order. He said, I've got to get baptized by you in this order in order to honor God. God does things in order, not disorder. 
Amen. Then when Jesus took authority, what he, after he was 40 days in, uh, of fasting and prayer and temptation, he immediately went out and did what? Gathered people. Hey, you, Mark, come on. Matthew, get up. Peter, John, come on. Bring, no, yeah, bring, those two can come too, come on. Those two other brothers, fishermen can come. I mean, he went out and gathered people, and he did life with them and with huge crowds, aiding people's homes. He did life with other people. We live in a world that wants to isolate and isolate and isolate. We were just talking today. Julie and I, we get our groceries delivered to our house. We get, I mean, if I want a pair of shoes, she orders them online, and some guy named Amazon shows up, drops them at my house. There's not, oh, FedEx, I'm sorry. <laughs> FedEx also shows up at my house a lot. And UPS, all of them. They don't even call him Santa Claus anymore. They call him Santa FedEx or Santa UPS or Santa Amazon. And so, listen, we, we, we get, we're getting more and more isolated from each other. We need church and community like this, church, more than ever before. And there's a huge attack on not going to church and not honoring God. People saying, we don't need organized religion. Yes, you do. Do you want disorganized religion? Go to the third world. You'll see what that looks like. Poverty, lack, corruption, crime, murder. Go there. People eating out of the garbage. That's what disorganization looks like. We need organized, not religion, but organized relationship with Christ. We need organization. God organized it. He's the one that laid it out in the Bible. He made it perfectly clear how the church should operate, how it should act, and the authorities that should be in the church. As a matter of fact, he said, if even two Christians sue each other, they should go to the church first. They said, if two Christians have a dispute, they should go to the church first. If they have a marriage problem, they should go to the church first. Legal problem, go to the church first. He put the church as the preeminent gathering place for his people to go and not only encourage one another, to praise together, to worship together, but also to solve problems together. And solve them biblically, according to his word, not according to man's opinion. I'm gonna say this, you need the church and the church needs you. It's not a one-way street that you need the church, we need you too. We need each other, the church is in this building. The church is each one of you sitting in, this, in a chair right now. We're the church. It's not my church, it's our church. It's not Pastor Troy's church. It's our church. This is our church together. I'm gonna end with sharing two more stories from people right here in Roswell. You hear stories about Abraham. We hear stories about Jehoshaphat and David and the four lepers and all this stuff. But guys, there's things happening right now, right here in our midst. Let me tell you this story. After two miscarriages and years of trying to get pregnant and have a healthy child, this couple finally is pregnant with a baby boy. But after 20 weeks, the doctors say there's something abnormal and there's a cyst growing on this child's lungs. They send him to a specialist and they see the specialist and the specialist tells them 
that this cyst will continue to grow, that this child, if, if born, will not live long, die a tragic death, will not be able to breathe on its own. It will die a tragic death, and that the best option they have is to abort the child. That was the report from the specialist. They said, no, we're going to believe God for our child. We're going to believe God. So they got in faith that this cyst would go away. Every two weeks, they'd have an ultrasound and see the specialist. Every two weeks, the specialist would say, the cyst has not gone away, it's grown. Every two weeks. Grown, 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 and growing. Every two weeks, the specialist said, abortion, abortion, abortion. Finally, he pushed it so hard that he said, he said to this couple, the doctor said, you're in denial and you need a therapist. You need some psychological help. Because they kept saying back, we believe, we believe God will heal our child. I've been through this, Julie and I personally, where the doctors looked at us and said, you need some psychological help because you're in denial that your child, uh, at three, one of our children was diagnosed with child onset diabetes. I said, we're not in denial. We recognize that we're gonna have to treat this and we're gonna have to use some wisdom. What we don't recognize is this thing's right, to limit his life or stay in his life because we serve a God that's greater than child onset diabetes. And they, they had a meeting to call social services to not allow him to be released to us because we were so psychologically damaged because we had hope against all of their hope. Same thing happened with this couple. They recommended therapy, social services, to deal with them, to help them, to decide to kill their child. They refused, finally, they stood up to that specialist and said, we're not having this conversation again. Don't you ever bring it up again. Don't tell us we're in denial. We trust our God more than we trust you. Stop, knock it off, we don't wanna hear it again. You have to stand up and defend your faith sometimes. And finally, that doctor dropped it, but had pursued them all along and kept saying to them, okay, you're not going to have an abortion, but this child's going to die a horrible, tragic death, suffocating to death because you guys are so selfish, you're going to have him. They said, no, we trust God. They got bad news after bad news after bad news to the day of birth. The child was born. The child was born, the cyst was bigger than the child. The cyst on that, th- that child's lung was five pounds. Bigger than the child. He did, not, he did not breathe for the first two minutes. After that child was born and was not breathing, that couple began to pray in the spirit. I'm gonna say this to you. If you've never studied out praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, and what, the whole, what God says about it, you need to. I was raised Baptist and I was told that that was gone and no good, that was evil and da 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 da. Read the Bible for yourself. They, everything they told me was a lie. These couple began to pray in the spirit. For two minutes they prayed and for two minutes that child did not breathe. At the end of the two minutes that child cried and began to breathe. They took that child into surgery and removed the cyst in half his lung. They said he still wasn't gonna make it, he was gonna die. They continued to pray. Why do you need to be able to pray in the Spirit? Because when you've prayed everything else you know, you let the Holy Spirit pray for you. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. And so they prayed through it, operation, you know, in, in uh, NICU unit for months. And then they finally, the child that gets, gets getting better and better, they release the child to him. At five years old, they take him back to the specialist. They do an x-ray. And the doctor says, I can't even tell that this child had surgery on the lung. 
If you wouldn't have told me, if I didn't know for a fact this happened, I would say that's impossible that this child ever had surgery because his body is healed. That child's about to turn 10 years old right here in Roswell, healthy, happy, and loves Jesus. Because of the faith they stood in after miscarriage and after the attack on their son, they had two more perfectly healthy children after that. God doesn't just give you victory. He gives you overwhelming victory. Now they got three healthy kids. Tell you a story about a friend of mine who grew up right here in Roswell. Good home. Good home in the sense, kind of like mine. His dad was honorable. Didn't go to church much like my dad didn't. But his mama, she was a drug dealer. She drug him and dealt with him about serving Jesus his whole life. Just like my mama did, drug me to church. And it didn't take, I didn't give my heart to Jesus, but I learned something. This is what I learned, that when all hope was gone, there was somebody else. And that's what he learned. But before he learned that lesson, he, like most of us, went into alcohol and then drugs and then eventually became a drug addict and a drug dealer. Got thrown in prison got out of prison, and instead of things getting better, things got worse. He became a greater drug addict and a greater drug dealer, hooked on meth, running the streets, on the streets a, a, a lot, just alone on the streets. One night before a major drug deal, guy was trying to rip him off. He got his gun and was going to go shoot him, get his drugs back. He turned to that God that his mama drug him to hear about and said, God, if you can do anything, help me. That was the only prayer he prayed. That was it. Shows up at that drug dealer's house. They're working out the deal. He's about to go for his gun, and there's about to be a shootout. Someone's dying that night. The police kick in the door and arrest them all. Can I tell you something? The police get a very, very bad rap. A lot of times when your loved ones are arrested, that's exactly what they need to happen. They're being arrested. Arrest means to stop, to stop something. They're being stopped from continuing going down that road and given a chance, an opportunity to change. He went to prison that second time. He knew that God had intervened that night. He went to prison and it got better. He's tried to serve the Lord, but when he got out and got some freedom, a little taste of freedom, he started to go back to his old lifestyle. He got involved in another relationship. He'd already had two broken marriages. When you're broken, you marry broken. And when two broken people married each other, it ends in a broken marriage. He'd already lost two marriages, already had two other children outside of that, got in another relationship, didn't marry this girl, but got her pregnant, had another child. That relationship ended, of course, and he started to go backwards. And then when it looks like things couldn't any be any worse in his life because of his own choices and decisions and all the junk he'd involved in, his two-year-old son dies in a tragic, tragic accident right in front of him. It breaks his heart. He gets angry because that's the only emotion he truly understood. And he violates his parole, gets thrown back in prison. Now his heart is broken. Watched his two-year-old son die in his arms right in front of him. He's had all these broken relationships. Everything's gone backwards. He's in prison for many years now. And he had a choice. Do I throw in the towel and give up all hope? Or do I wholeheartedly give my heart, my whole heart to the God of hope? I thank God for my friend who said, no, I'm not throwing in the towel. God's my only hope. Moms, you drug your children to church and you think it didn't pay off, someday it will. 
Young mothers, I don't care how much they protest when they're 13 and 14 and say, Pastor Troy's old and boring. You keep dragging them, you keep dragging them, you keep dragging them, you keep dragging them because when all the chips are down one day, they'll know that there's still hope because they'll know that mama and daddy believe in the God of hope and they'll turn to God. Someday they'll turn because they're gonna hit rock bottom. And they won't, they won't be crushed by it because there'll always be God right there to say, hey, hey, you remember me? And he turned to God with his whole heart. He got out of prison. Went back in the family business, started building it up, got married to a, a woman that had come from a lot of brokenness who had been healed from that. Now two healed people are in a great eight-year marriage, longest relationship he's ever had. Happy, loving each other, serving God. He got a job in Houston with a major national construction company. Worked there for multiple years. Prospered like he'd never prospered before. Opened up his own business. And within a couple of years, he's doing $50 million worth of business this year within two years of opening his own business. He's taking care of all the children that he had from those broken relationships, plus the ones he inherited, plus the ones he's had. God's blessed him with more natu another natural child of his own. And he's, now he's got all these children he's able to care for and love. He, he, he has a Christian home and a Christian atmosphere in his house and in his life. And with all that good stuff happening and turning around for him, he knows the number one thing he has in his life is he has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That when all the chips were down, when his heart was broken, the God of hope showed up. The God of hope showed up. When it was hopeless, the God of hope showed up. And now his life is full of hope. Guys, those happen to people's lives right here in Roswell, America. And I could tell you story after story of sitting, people I look at and see right here, right now. The God of hope is still alive and well. He's alive and well, and he's just looking for somebody with their whole heart to say, I trust you. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. He wants to move for the wholehearted. He won't move for the half-hearted. Well, you trust him one day and you don't the next. He, he said, expect to receive nothing from me if you're double-minded. He wants to move for the one that says, my eyes are fixed on you. You're the author and finisher of my faith. My eyes are fixed on you because I know you love me more than anyone can love me. My eyes are fixed on you. My prayers are fixed on you. My heart is fixed on you. Good or bad, happy or sad, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you, God, that no matter what happens, some good's coming. Some good's about to happen. I expect your word to come to pass. Healing's coming. Prosperity's coming. These, these heal, healings in my family's coming. And most of all, salvation for me and my whole house is coming. That's coming. He's looking for that person that will stand. He's looking for that person. He's looking for men that will stand up for their families and radiate with hope all the time for their wives and their children to lead their families to him to lead their families to victories for generations, generations. With every eye closed here and online, thank you for joining us online. If, if you're watching right now or next week, if you're not right with God, this is the moment to do it. If you're not right with God in this room, this is the time, this is the moment. Don't put it off any longer. The Bible says the day of salvation is here.
This is the day that God wants to save your life. Who's he going to save it from? You, from your sin. He wants to save it from you and your own sin. He wants to save you from that and the power of sin to control your life. He wants to set you free so that the power of sin can't control you anymore. You're free to make choices and to have choices, to do right instead of wrong, to overcome instead of give in, to get back up instead of lay down. He wants to save you rescue you from the power of sin in this life to control you and give you freedom in this life, hope in this life. And he wants to rescue you and free you from the results of dying in sin and that's eternal death in hell. He wants to free you to go to heaven, to live forever, for to live forever with our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ and most of all with him to forever to live a life of adventure in this life and the next one, always moving forward. Full of hope, love, and faith. If you're watching online and you want to pray with us for the first time or maybe it's the next time, you just want to come home. I'm gonna ask you right now to send us a message and say, I'm praying for the next time or praying for the first time. Send us it now. In this room, I'm asking you on the count of three to raise your hand and say, it's me. I need to get praying. I need to get right with God before I leave here. I'm coming with my whole heart. Not half-stepping it, not playing games with my whole heart. I'm gonna place my life in God's hands. So online, send the message in this room one two, three, raise your hand up high and say, it's me, then put it down. Come on, all over this room. You're gonna get right with God today. That's incredible. Praise God. Thank you, thank you. God bless you all. Let's all pray right now with those that are, raise their hand. Let's all pray. Those online, let's all pray together. Say this together. Say, God, all together. God, I believe you're the God of all hope. And you sent Jesus to die for my sins. And you raised him from the dead to give us hope, eternal, forever hope. Thank you. Because I believe that, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I receive your full and complete forgiveness right now. And I say to you, Jesus, you are the Lord Jesus Christ of my life. I trust you with all my life. Every part of my being is yours. And I receive your Holy Spirit right now to live inside of me, to guide me, direct me, teach me, Comfort me, deliver me, and help me to live for you. To live the life you came to give me, full of abundance, full of hope, full of faith, full of love, until I see you in heaven. Thank you for saving my life. In Jesus' name, so be it. 
Amen. Come on. Let's thank God. He's so good. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to find out more about Church on the Move, like our service times, or how you can connect with us, you can visit cotmroswell.com.